0: Hello beautiful people, thank you so much as always for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Whether you're a first time listener or long time listener, all the same, thank you so much for your constant support and thank you for clicking on this particular episode. Diving back to the Wickverse for the last time, well I say the last time until I see chapter 4 this week, but revisiting the Wickverse we should say uh, in the previous instalments, we've done we've done chapter 1, chapter 2, it's now time. For chapter three, John Wick, released on May 17th, 2019. This film, I remember when it was coming out, I was so excited for it. Absolutely, from the trailer, everything about it, it looked grand. And that's the thing, Stahelski in this film, director Stahelski, that is, really, really just expanded on the mythology, the lore, everything to do with the Wick verse. It full force in this film. Uh, Parabellum is by far, I mean, I would say it's my second favorite John Wick film. On revisit and re-watching, I have some new thoughts though about it, which I'll come to. Not not so much like a massive negative, but there's just a few dips in there that I didn't find when I first saw it at the cinema, because I remember coming out of the cinema and such and being absolutely blown away by this bloody film. like It was <laughs> glorious, but I love each John Wick installment, as many do as well. It's got such a huge hardcore fan base, as I stated on the last podcast. There's going to be so many people, if you are checking out this podcast, or evening, particularly if you're just fans of John Wick, that you'll know so much more about it all than I do. I just want to give you my thoughts on the particular films and in these revisits but chapter three holy hell like re-watching it and revisiting it I I remember I I, I think I've smiled so much that my cheeks were hurting I mean I smiled a lot in the cinema and grinning a lot but this revisit so many sequences that just completely blow you away like if you're not invested somewhat of the story aspects of it you can't fault the action that's in this film like it is Truly remarkable what Stahelski he does in this. And he, he did, he's done an amazing job already with the previous chapters, but it's constantly trying to up the game, which is why with every Wick announcement, with every new John Wick instalment... I'm always that sat there going, what is he going to do next? Not necessarily what's John Wick going to do, but what is Chad Stahelski going to do next with this character, with the villains, with the actual world itself, and like I said, the lore and such, and just expanding, expanding. And Wick 3 does that super well, but like I say, it sets up very nicely for a very entertaining and what should be an excellent chapter 4. Now, as I stated there, John Wick Chapter 3 was released in March, in May, sorry, May 2019. The film had a $75 million budget and grossed Get this, $327.3 million dollars at the box office globally. Each John Wick sequel has made more money than the previous film in the franchise. So you can just see, can't you, how the, how the fans, there's there's a huge craving for these films. You can see why they are, why Lionsgate get whoever do release them, you know, chapter after chapter. I have read that, obviously, that after chapter four, they are going to, you know, give the character a little bit of a rest, which makes me even more interested to see how chapter four is going to go. But we're not here to talk about chapter four. That will be coming. I want to stick to chapter three, obviously. This film obviously brought back it's big players from previous films, obviously Keanu Reeves being a given. <laughs> but you know you've got Ian McShane back, Lance Reddick as well, and Lawrence Fishburne. I love that Lawrence Fishburne states that his character on the Bowery Kings that he loves that the he's the king of the underworld beneath the underworld. And he really is, and I say where the film leaves us at the end of chapter three. It has me all the more excited because I do feel, like I said, there's going to be a great team up there with Wick and the Bowery King. Now, that leaves me very nicely to say that there will be spoilers in this revisit. So if you've not seen it, I would imagine you wouldn't be listening anyways. But still... There will be spoilers and I will be flying from here to here to there to wherever, basically, because there's so much. This film is massive, man. This film has so much going that I, I'm curious to see how long it's going to take me to actually fly through <laughs> this uh, this revisit. But I'm going to, as I do usually stay, kind of keep it with the characters and keep everything in like nice little neat pockets. But don't you worry. I can't wait to talk about the action just as probably much as... Hopefully you can't wait to hear my thoughts on it anyways. But the title Parabellum comes from the Latin phrase. Here we go with the Latin uh, civis passen parabellum, which means if you want peace, prepare for war. I'm not being funny, but that that pretty much sums up the film, doesn't it? If there's ever, like, that could be the tagline for the film. I know that it is the the, the subtitle, obviously, Parabellum, but if it was just called John Wick Chapter 3, I I would imagine a poster on there would say something along the lines of, if you want peace, prepare for war," And as I say, wraps up the film very nicely. It's also an alternate name for the 9mm handgun cartridge, which is the 9mm uh, Parabellum. I hope I'm saying all of that right. I don't know my guns, but if, tell me if I'm wrong. Keanu Reeves describes John's conflict in this film as a battle between two sides of himself, John and John Wick. He says that John is the guy who, who just wants to be left alone, who seeks a quiet life, which to remember his wife. In order to do that, he has to engage the side of himself that is John Wick, the side that knows how to fight to the death. John Wick is the only one that can help John survive, and that's something that I was touching upon in my chapter two revisit, how essentially John is leading a double life now since the events of the first film. It just goes hand in hand with really. it. They say you can't have one without the other, as, 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 as Keanu was saying there, you know, like John can only survive if John Wick is with him. And this film explores all aspects of that because we do have those kind of intimate and close moments where like I could say when he meets the elder of the high table, this, that, and the other about kind of, making a deal and such and that he just wants to keep his wife alive within him but he can't do that without john wick keanu reeves began training for this film four months before filming and says there are so many different kind of action sequences don't we know it in this film not only more styles of martial arts and more gunplay but also motorcycles horses and dogs so the training was even more intense. But Keanu goes on to say that he honestly loves it, he loves the character, and he loves the John Wick universe that the team have created, and we all love that. Let's be honest, we absolutely all love what they're doing, the scope of the film's getting bigger and bigger. Like I said, the first film was just a revenge story, and then the second one and third one just blows the door open on on everything, the high table, the continental, absolutely everything. Uh, Keanu isn't the only Matrix star who has made his way into this movie, obviously we know that Laurence Fishburne is in this film, but too, Daniel Bernhardt, who played Agent Johnson, Plays Kirill and Randall Duke Kim. That's the key maker. He plays the Doctor that patches John up after the ordeal at the club at the start of John Wick Chapter 3 and also gives him some red pills as well. So there you go, some nice old... I just love it. There's there's other Matrix nods as well from Chad Stahelski, which I do really appreciate in this film. But yeah, really, really excellent stuff. Now, before we do dive into this podcast, because there's so much to talk about, I have to go through and obviously give a rundown of obviously the, the socials. Well, I don't have to, but I'm going to jump onto Facebook and Instagram and search Joe Blogs About Films, give us a like and a follow on those pages. That would be absolutely awesome. If you can too, jump onto rss.com spotify apple google wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast if you hit the notification button you can be notified when new episodes are uploaded but like the podcast follow the podcast whatever it is and leave us a review because that too would be absolutely absolutely grand so here we go, John Wick Chapter Three. Now excommunicado, and with every hitman, hit woman, and hit child on Earth hunting him for the forty million dollar bounty, John Wick is starting to break a sweat. Can he somehow win back the favor of the assassin aristocrats of the high table? And who's going to look after his dog while he does it? As I say, this is probably my second favorite of the bunch. Now it's weird this because I it change whenever I rewatch it, and like. I love Chapter 2, and Chapter 3, I, I, they're, they're just tied, I think. They're really, really tied. It's such a tricky one, because the first for me is obviously the favourite, but Chapter 3 does give all of them a good run for its money, and I've he- I'm hearing that Chapter 4 also is like does exactly the same, really. But the film brings in what I quite like, is there's these new central characters within Chapter 3, Director Stahelski, Chad wants wanted to show more of the underground social structure that exists in the in this John Wick's world. You know, one way of doing that was to bring in Angelica Huston's as the director. And I found these moments where John went to visit her and the ballerinas like really, really interesting, intriguing, because it was like. The first time or the first real time that we got to see parts of Wick's past and who he was and how he became the person that he is now. And Keanu Reeves goes on to say that it was really fantastic to have the chance to work with Angelica for the first time and that the scenes with her character are some of the films more dramatic or most dramatic. They are rooted in John Wick's past, as I just stated there, but it's rich in the stakes at that moment. And she brings the depth that you want from that. And like I've just touched upon there, it was really, really interesting to kind of just, just just scrape a little bit as to how John became the person that he is and I thought that, again, elaborating on what we know already of him and what we've seen of the world, it fit nicely to include that within Chapter 3. The other character that's quite a big player in this film is A.C.A. Kate Dillons, the Adjudicator, the producer of, the, of chapter three described the adjudicator as being like an insurance investigator who in a very cold and matter of fact way investigate what rules were broken, who broke them and what the punishment should be. Her character entering into the fray essentially gives Wick more foes than allies. You know what I mean? Like it, it's a case of that. She's going to clear out anyone that's helped Wick, including Ian McShane's Winston, Lawrence Fishburne's Barra So anyone that's had ties with Wick in the previous films, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, are they going to, are they going to, push against push back against her to help someone that they truly respect that we obviously know in the films that we've seen already or are they going to kind of go by the books and just be like, okay, then off you pop, you you can take Wick out, we'll we'll step back, this and that, which you just don't know with these films. Like I say, as I stated in Chapter 2 Revisit, friends can become foes very quickly in this film, and we see that a lot in, um, yeah, we see that quite a lot in Chapter 3, in fairness. But finally, the film also introduces Halle Berry as Sophia al Azwa, an ex-assassin, a former friend of John, and the manager of the Continental Hotel in Casablanca. Now, there is a conflict in her character as well, much like everyone else that associates with John, because she's got time Lives with him, but she doesn't want to be roped into the mess that he's landed himself in. But overall, Sophia, like the air quote good guys of the bad bunch, has morals and so is willing to risk it all for him. Halle Berry had to learn dog training as well, part of the production. She spent three hours a day, four days a week in total, spending six months training with the dogs, doing drills in order for them to form a bond. She's saying that their Malinois are super smart and fiercely loyal, but at the same time they like to play, which made it quite fun, and that being the animal person, she's got two dogs herself, so the sweetest part of the training was always hanging out with the dogs. Um, And then the film's dog trainer told Keanu Reeves that they treat Halle as their new trainer now. This is pretty important when working with animals, because the trainer is normally out of frame, giving the commands, but because because Halle Berry could command the dogs herself, it gave the filmmakers much more freedom in terms of how these scenes were shot, and I absolutely love these sequences with the dogs, obviously when they're in Casablanca, Um, just like another little side bit of trivia there, to encourage the dogs attacking the correct area of obviously the actors that they were fighting against in these sequences, that the actors who were playing the henchmen were required to like smother scroll areas in a mixture of fish sauce and peanut butter, uh, multi-layered ballistic Hessian underpants were used for these protection, and these sequences of with the dogs attacking them in Casablanca. They, like I said, they're excellent. Having having Wick and Sophia being a part of a shootout, and then Sophia like whistling or commanding the dogs to go out on the attack to get involved, it aided those visuals perfectly for me. Plus, it was cool to see a dog get its own back on some bad guys. Having like dogs being always like kind of put down or whatever, just treated they're just always treated really poorly in the Wickverse. Apparently, like more people are cat people it seems than they are dog people in the Wickverse so I'm not for that. Not, that. not that there's anything wrong with being a cat person, but stop shooting dogs. Stop it. It's not good, but it was just nice to see the dogs get their own back. Um, Halle Berry had to focus on increasing her endurance as well during training, saying that because of Chad's long takes, which is something I will touch upon because there are bloody loads in this film. That is so He does it throughout, but there's great ones in this that it was essential for Halle Berry to have really good cardiovascular stamina so that they could do lots of moves and once the, you know do them over and over, basically. Um, and it also, Halle Berry said and that she wanted to show that she could keep up with Keanu Reeves, which apparently is no easy deal, because the man's a badass, let's be honest. She actually broke three ribs while filming the movie as well, all for a great performance and portrayal of this character. Now, I, I'm going to come to this point now, because I stated at the start that like revisiting it, it was like, the, it's an amazing film, don't get me wrong, but there was a few, there's something that kind of took me out of the, the film just a smidge. But like, we'll come to the negative in this, in it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do positive and negative here, because having Wick over in Casablanca gives one of the best images or imagery the series has has had to offer so far. Which is him walking around the desert and across the dunes in his full black suit, black attire, John Wick attire it's just a really crazy juxtaposition really and one that i really do love in the film it's like he's been plucked out of the city life or the the actual wick world this like comic book world and thrown into the desert and i really like that contrast it's just showing as well how grand the series has got you know that this is all while wick is searching for the elder who sits above the high table to essentially clear his slate clean. This is something, obviously, because we know that he was excommunicadoed on the back of Chapter 2. All these assassins are after him, so Wick's now looking for the next step to essentially clear his name. And as I say, he wants to keep the, the, the memory and the life of his wife, of his love, you know, alive basically and the elder does agree to this obviously within the film if he kills winston and remains subservient to the high table for the remainder of john wick's life which is something that obviously we will touch upon a little bit later when it comes back around at the end because there's honestly i know i'm already flying to all of that there is just way too much in this film which again can be a bit of a negative but i will say that i like expanding it and i like the, the the lore and such but this kind of brings me nicely to one of my negatives was that the, in 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 a retrospect and a revisit front, I did feel that this part of the film just kind of took me out of it a little bit like i felt I felt like it just slowed the film down it 's necessary for the plot, and I get that absolutely, but I really did feel like it just kind of sucked the pace out just a little bit. Because once he gets back to the city, having been forgiven by the elder, the film picks right up again. It's really strange because there's like these moments where it is really great. Obviously, there's moments with Halle Berry and such when they're shooting out and taking down these bad guys, this and that. That's really awesome in the film. But I would say that like the the moments of him trying to get to the elder or just being with the elder. There's just something about it that just feels like it's taking so much longer than it actually is. But anyways, that's that's pretty much the only negative I have of this film on a retrospective front. Because overall, like I say, I love just the expansion of this world and just seeing what is created within Chapter 3. Now, like the other chapters, and as we say, we're going here, there and everywhere, the film pretty much picks up straight after Chapter 2. Just before we do get to all of that, though... The opening title sequence for Chapter 3 is extraordinarily good. Like having these quick flashes and lovely pink and blue colour schemes showcasing like the coins or the medallions all leading to that gunfire of a bullet that then brings us to the title of John Wick 3. I'm like, oh, well, you have clearly thought this one through because I'm not saying that the other films didn't have good opening title sequences, but I would say this is definitely the most elaborate and the most grand, you know what I mean, opening. I thought it was really lovely and pleasant on the eye. Now, there are plenty of awesome sequences that unfold in this film. And at the start of the film, it's a night sequence, which is lovely for me on a personal level because I love night shoes. And it's raining once again I love all of that. And it, just like we have been touching upon with the colour, there's some great colour here. It goes without saying, like the neon and such of this film. This, this film is laced, this comic book Wickverse is just laced in neon pink and blues. Like the way that they reflect in the puddles as well when we're focusing obviously his feet as he's running through the city, just waiting for the time obviously just to get where he can before the excommunicado kicks in full swing kind of thing. It just all looked perfectly like it's really great to follow on from the last chapter with just everyone looking at him or being or having him surrounded by crowds and crowds of people however we don't know he doesn't know who is an assassin and who isn't it's only until someone makes a move to to go for the kill that you're like okay there we go now we're going to get some fisticuffs but we see all of this unfold whilst underground are listing his fee and the countdown until Everything's in full effect, giving that really intense and suspense for the audience, just waiting to see how all of this is going to unfold. It's funny as well as it's not like we're sat there thinking, oh God, John Wick's going to die in this film, like everyone's out to get him, blah da da It's us sat there going, I can't wait to see how many people John Wick's going to take down and how the body count's going to keep piling and piling up, you know? And this leads me very nicely to one of my favourite lines of the film. I've done this in the last couple of podcast revisits for Wick, and I'm going to do it again where I list out some favourite quotes of the film but I, th- this is one of them which is courtesy of Ian McShane's Winston when he says, $40 million bounty on his head and every interested party in the city wants a piece of it. I say the odds are about even... This line coming very early in the film, talking like the first five minutes is just perfect for the story that's about to unfold. And, you know, John being good, or being so good, I should say, is almost like a blessing and a curse for him in this film, because, like, he's renowned for his excellent service and just been a top, top assassin, but yet everyone knows who he is. He's the Babi Yager at the end of the day, making him a very easy target. The only problem for the people that are out to get him is that he's just too good. So it's kind of a double-edged sword with it. I like as well that there's a real anguish from people who respect him knowing that they can't help him you know the doctor at the start is a perfect example you know he's respected enough by so many that usually he's got connections everywhere but now john has very few that he can trust if anyone now I'm going to talk about some uh, some lovely action that this film has to throw at us, and I'm going to fly from here there to everywhere, but the first set piece that we get is an absolutely fantastic one in the public library, and it's glorious, absolutely glorious. I already talked about Ingenious Kills, and this one has got one of them. But again, excellent, excellent choreographed and fight, and the Russian book that John asked for in this scene, oh, here we go, is Ruskay Narodzinyai Skazki. That's awful pronunciation. I do very much appreciate it, but the book itself is just a prominent collection of Russian fairy tales like the Brothers Grimm stories and such, uh, and it includes the first known written tales of the Baba Yaga. So there you go, a nice little trivia there, which is central metaphor In this series of films, obviously, John Wick says the title and author correctly while requesting the Russian language version at the library. Again, showing those all-round skills, but coming to the actual use of this book itself, like, I love a good kill in the Wick films and taking down this big, tall giant or big non-friendly giant as i like to call him it's just fantastic and stahelski as i've stated like he does a lot of long takes but the way that he cuts the sequence up and such is really great because you know as i say it, notoriously throughout the week film he uses lots of long takes with the action so you get a real feel for them and also it doesn't look really choppy like a choppy mess and a blurry mess but what he also excels in is like not being able to cut around like the action without it looking choppy so like he'll he'll zoom in on like some moments where they're like the we'll have a wide frame but we'll see the same kind of style shot but just a little bit closer in more intimate fight between the two characters this is a really strong one and, and using the book not only to like break the jaw of the guy but then to put his head prop his head on the book and break his <laughs> neck with it Oh my god, it was just, a, it's just a very, there's some really good, like, ingenious ways that Wick takes people out as well, and and I think this this is, this as well at the beginning of the film, this is the first time that we see, like, a ven- very, like, vulnerable-looking Wick, like, he's already been challenged once in the library, uh, before the time was up, in fact, obviously before his excommunicado actually began. And like, you know, by the time he gets the doctor, he's got literal minutes left. So there's an eagerness to try and get himself patched up, at least, and give himself a fighting chance. Like, Wick knows what's waiting and who's coming for him, so he needs to be fully prepared. Now, keeping close to the action in the film, because that's what we love... I think that Stahelski needs credit for constantly upping the scope and just what they can do next with the character in the fight sequences because there are so many excellent moments I keep saying within this film and they happen from the get-go of the film, you know, like there's ninjas in this film, for God's sake, like I am all for that as well and the way that he uses like the lighting and, and darkness as well, being like an ally for these ninjas, obviously, because that's how they work, but they're like hiding in the shadows for the kills and say when they go after like, the director and her people and this and that, like it's really effective and again, it keeps you really on your toes like with flashes of light as well because we already know that there's these rain sequences that are unfolding but the way that the light will just flash and the ninja's there or like how when they break into the director's um, stage and such you know you've got these the hitmen or the bodyguards or whatever just walk around and we get these wonderful shots where someone will be walking up towards a mirror and you'll just see behind him like a ninja just fly into frame and just take them out like it is absolutely glorious to say the use of the ninjas, I think, are absolutely outstanding in this in this film. But we have a wonderful as well sequence in like an antique dealership where there's old guns and knives, etc. They're all being kept there, which is some it leads to some marvellous moments where knives have being thrown at the floor, very close to crotches, sat there like jumping like, whoop. And I love the fighting in these kind of moments. It's very well put together and almost like they look effortless, but at the same time real. You can't see anything that feels like people are counting or waiting for the next strike, you know. It's always, always really well put together and it's really great as well seeing Wick take on like two or three guys at once and this is where like Stahelski really shines with the action and fight sequences because we can really focus on Wick taking down one guy but then Stahelski will find a way to incorporate the second guy who's like laid out on the floor or whatever crawling around for something you know he, he incorporates them into the sequences very nicely so like you'll have a fisticuff going off with Wick and Guy A let's say and Guy B will be on the floor and Wick will be kicking away the gun from the other guy on the floor throwing the knife at him midway through the sequence with like while he's fighting with Guy A and it like just immerses you so well within that fight massively but also like raises the stakes for each fight when there's two or three in one room with him and like the big bit as well in the same sequels where Wick's got the knife slowly this they cut the score out of this bit as well which I was like oh god this is like even more effective but Wick really pushing down on the guy who's holding back the knife as he then slowly you know pops it into the guy's eye it made me laugh out loud but like a laugh of like disbelief <laughs> it's so violent but it's so John Wick you know just another quick side note like we always see pockets of brilliance like i say like that like I've spoken about how we get to see these all-round skills that Wick has, but just to see how good he is with firearms, it's always always quite noticeable. For example, in that sequence with the antiques dealership that he's in, he slowly and calmly swaps parts of a revolver together, as well as starts loading it and then turns the barrel slowly and you can see him really listening to it clicking um, as as he does so. It's very tense, but at the same time, it's quite a calm moment because... He's just doing all of this while they're waiting for these bad guys to come up so he can just start shooting them. It all looks effortless, but for Wick, it genuinely really is. And I believe as well, this is a nod to the good, the bad, and the ugly, which takes me way back to uh, to my uni days. Like I've already spoke about certain things that I'd seen on such in the trailers and that were making me really hyped for Chapter 3. But there's a sequence, obviously, I saw in the trailer which made me really, really like smiling from ear to ear, and that's John riding the horse through the city. It's like, yeah, you're cool, but you're not John Wick riding a horse killing men kind of cool. Like, the fast-paced start to this film just doesn't let up at all. It's just all-out war. It's just all-out war, and Wick, as promised at the end of Chapter 2, is going to kill everyone. He'll kill them all, as he says. There's some excellent wide shots as well when he's on this horse and such, and he's taking down those couple of motorcyclists. Like, I love that Stahelski just doesn't cut away from anything of this. Like... You can say that for, for some parts the CGI in Wick isn't amazing, but I, I think that lends very nice to the hands of it feeling very comic book-esque. And having these wide shots and like him taking down, it just elevates the action as well in these moments where he takes down the motorcyclist, but we just continue to see what happens to the motorcyclists after they've... like been shot and they'll fly off the bike or fly into a parked car or a row of parked cars you know what i mean like i say and, and there's also speaking of motorbikes and and john wick on motorbikes or whatever fighting there's there's a sequence as well with the ninjas a little bit later in the film when they turn up as well and we get to see that wonderful sequence where they all pull out their blades at the same time it looks like synchronized you know it's just so so bloody good and like them hunting him Again, it just wonderful imagery and it really like handles the frame perfectly does to Helski with this. It's just remarkable action. Now again, just touching upon more to do with the ninjas, like they work alongside the adjudicator in this film and they're taking down anyone that's helped Wick along the way, leading The line for these guys is Mark DeCascos. He plays the character Zero, who is excellent in this film. Like, not just in his fighting sequences, but I love, like, there's a moment where they're they're both he and Wick in the Continental. Obviously, we know that there's no bloodshed to be spilled on Continental ground, and they sit there at that sofa. Now, this is a humorous moment in itself. Wick sat there, and then he purposely sits right next to him, just invading that personal space enough for Wick to to get up and move. But I just love this kind of, this moment. It's this really nice moment of humor where he's kind of just going off and... You know, Zero, the character Zero, is just kind of expressing how much of a big fan he is. And then when he sees it, he's always oh, this the dog that everyone's talking about, this and that. Like, it's just a nice moment to take us out of the film for just a second. that's all been, you know, guns blazing, you know what I mean? This is just a nice calm moment. There are other nice moments as well, obviously, within the film, and, and humorous moments obviously as Lawrence Fishburne, who rules as the Bowery King, but, you know, back to, to Mark Descascos, so that the way that he fights, and the way that he slashes and dashes, it's just, it's so grand and leads to a fantastic final boss, you know, final boss level fight, we should say, with John in this film, much like the Room of Mirrors in Chapter 2, this one in Chapter 3, with this glass, hot everything glass, it is just absolutely fantastic in the Continental. Like it is really, really remarkable. And again, those set pieces that keep, you know, getting bigger and grander and bigger and grander. This is one of them. This is absolutely one of them. One of my favourite moments in the film, absolutely. Some really, really and it and this is on the back of what has been some absolutely outstanding action set pieces with the adjudicator and obviously how they launched the attack because as I stated there the elder of, of the high table says to Wick he has to kill Winston obviously Winston too has to take down John if he wants to keep the Continental both of which saying they will not do the latter which leads to the decision for this Continental that Winston runs to be destroyed now these all of this is absolutely grand not just because it's action and action and glorious action but because the colour scheme is purposefully green and black, which is a direct nod to The Matrix, something obviously that Stahelski worked on as well, and he did this on purpose. And another nice nod to this as well is that John Wick utters the lines, when Winston says, what do you need? He says, guns, lots of guns. Neo says the same line in The Matrix. There are so many things just to kind of I don't know, like, give fans, and especially Matrix fans, but just give fans of this franchise that that warm feeling. Like, the, the people that are making these films really care about what we think and our opinions. It's not, like, I've said before. Many times in the previous two podcasts, it's not action for the sake of action. It is all there for for an enjoyment purpose. And these kind of nods to other projects that these guys have worked on, I think, just ticks so many nice boxes for us. And it's just wonderful. I say that a lot. It ticks a lot of boxes. But it does because it's really, really great. And there's so much action here and, and a nice... Nice as well to see Lance Reddick get, you know, a few moments to shine. I've not really spoken too much about Lance Reddick, but really sad news of what's happened with with Lance's passing. And it's something that I wasn't expecting. And just before, obviously, John Wick Chapter 4 premiering, really sad. And, and you may have seen, obviously, I'll talk a little bit more maybe on the Chapter 4 podcast, but you've seen, you may have seen, obviously, some of the, um, you know, the comments on the red carpet at the premiere and such from, you know, Lawrence Fishburne and particularly Keanu Reeves. But, you know, he's a big staple in this universe. And it is such a shame that, he's no longer with us, but I, I'm really happy that, I mean, I've not, obviously I'm sure that you'll get some great moments as well in chapter chapter four, but I'm really glad that we got to see, you know, Lance Reddick actually kick ass in this film, you know, like he's more than just the guy behind the counter and we see some fantastic action with him, you know, firing bullets away, you know, and there's this moment where he like, loads and clocks the shotgun, then pushes his glasses back against his head. It's so fitting for his character, such a lovely little touch. Uh, and, I, and as I say, I just love that he gets some great moments to shine in the Wick verse. The film then obviously leaves us on a nice, not cliffhanger ending, but as they do, sets us up for the next one as to what's to come. Now, Wick is once again left on the outside of the underworld. He's double-crossed once again, this time by Winston. And I was so surprised by this. I'd love to know what other people think of this as well, because... Even when the parlay is offered to him by the adjudicator, I didn't expect Winston to take it, nor did I expect him to shoot John. But, like, he does so, and you're, like, kind of taken back. And I'm interested to see what the dynamics are going to be in Chapter 4 about that because. I guess that obviously for Winston, it's kind of a decision that he has to make to keep the continental. He has, he's, a, he's quite a figure, you know, obviously within this this Wick world, within the higher table, or within, or like his ties with the high table. So I get the reason behind he does it, but I was still quite surprised. But the moment of John Wick falling off the uh, off the building all the way down, yes, is a bit tad far far fetched, but it fits that comic world and comic book vibe that the Wickverse is. And it, like I said, has me so excited for obviously what's to come, knowing that he's going to team up with the Bowery King and take down the high table. I can't wait to see how that's going to unfold with Chapter 4. And if people have seen Chapter 4, obviously, you'll probably know more. So I'll be hopefully excited for me to check it out because I dig Chapter 3 so much. There's so much scope, as I said. Not only do we see so much wonderful action, but we see and learn more and more about the high table, the world that, the, that John Wick lives in. Like we know now fully If anything, that this world is not the same world that we, you know, audienced and and every. Well, no. That outside the John Wick world, basically, we're not in that same world. This is something completely different. This is something that. Like I say, there are hotels for people and assassins to sleep in, have a cushy night and not get killed. There's obviously like neon everywhere. It's just, it's marvellous really what they've done and what they've created with the John Wick saga. Um, And I really cannot wait to see what Chapter 4 delivers as I said. To see the fantastic and wonderful outspread of love and and high critical response it's getting, I can't wait to see. And I'm curious as to where it's going to stand in my rankings because at the minute it's going 1-3-2, I think. I think anyways, that's where I'm leaving it. But yeah. I hope you've enjoyed these revisits. Out of ten, John Wick three. I'm gonna give this one I'll give it an eight and a half again. Like I think I gave two eight and a half. And I I think I gave the first one a nine. But I do see two and three quite on par, but I just prefer three for some of the wonderful imagery and, and, and sequences that we get in terms of the action. Like that that final act, like the final f- boss fight or whatever, or like all of that leading up to, like I say, with the green and the black and the the shootout with all of that. It just kind of takes, just tips it for me just a little bit. As much as I love the Room of Mirrors of Chapter 2, Chapter 3 has got some absolutely remarkable moments, and uh, yeah, I'm absolutely all for it. I can't wait for Chapter 4. really, really can't. But like I say, I really hope you've enjoyed these revisits. I thank you so much, as always, for checking out the podcast. It really does absolutely mean the world. Please let me know your favourite John Wick film. Let me know your rankings. Which one of you, like I say, which one stands out? What's your favourite scene? Anything and everything to do with John Wick. But more importantly, how excited are you for John Wick Chapter 4? Thank you so much as always for checking out the pod until the next episode which will be the re- which will be the review of chapter 4 for John Wick take care